0: A seat so this is what peter is saying he's saying i want you in light of the troubles that you're going through i want you to filter that through what christ has done for you and you remember the cost of your salvation that's what he leads those believers to do it's what he leads us to do we should never grow numb to the price that jesus paid for our salvation amen right We should never get to a place where we're indifferent about what he has done. And and he's saying, I want you to be reminded that Jesus died. He was buried for you. He's been raised from the dead. And he's coming back for you. And you have a hope. And it's not just a wishful thinking kind of hope. You have a confident hope that this is who your faith is in. And that you have a living hope because you have a living God. So Peter starts talking about the gospel in chapter 1. That gospel means good news. And he says this, that the Old Testament saints, we don't have time to read this today, look at it for yourself. The Old Testament saints, they didn't quite fully comprehend all of what they were saying. They knew there was a Messiah that was coming, but they didn't quite grasp everything that was going on, and so they marvel at this. And then he begins to talk about how the angels in heaven, how this gospel is so marvelous and so mysterious that they are eager to look into this gospel even more and what is this gospel is that God himself the creator of the universe because of our sinfulness decided to put skin on and become one of us and he lived a perfect sinless life he died on the cross for us in our place so that you and I could be restored back into relationship with God and what he's saying is don't ever forget that don't ever forget that, that the angels are, 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 are look, looking into this and that the Old Testament prophets are marveling at this and that we should never lose this. And then he says, and by the way, don't, don't forget this, you're just temporary residents in this world that is broken. Aren't you glad about that, amen, right? That this isn't our home. So he says, I want you to remember uh, the cost of your salvation. Here's the second thing, okay? I want you to stand firm in your faith as a response, as a response to the gospel, okay? So write that down. Let's bring that next point up, please. And, and write that as a response to the gospel. Now, I want to give you some sub points of what does that response look like. And the subpoints are really, they flow right out of what Peter said. This is what your response to that gospel is. He says, first, by living joyfully in the midst of suffering. I want your response to be, is to be different than the way the world responds to, to, to suffering suffering and hardship. So verse 6 he says this, "So be truly glad, that is to rejoice. There is wonderful joy ahead even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. He says, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. Peter is saying the way for the Lord to begin to develop this internal joy inside of you. It's not contingent upon your circumstances. He says this is to, is to understand that what you're going through is temporary that, and and it could be temporal in the sense that God changes your circumstances because sometimes he does. But I think in this light of this passage, it's more in light of the fact that we live in a world, this is our temporary we're our residency, our citizenship is in heaven. And, and what he's saying is you gotta keep your eyes on that understanding. You're just an ambassador of Jesus while you're here in this world that's not your home. And so the other part that produces joy within us is knowing this, that God is not wasting any of the trials that come into our lives. That he's not surprised by them, that, he, that, he, that he's in fact can use them. And what is he doing? He's maturing us. He's strengthening us. He's developing our character as we go through uh, what we go through. And let's face it, that there are a number of, of Christians who whenever hardship comes up upon them in their life, if we're being honest, and maybe you've been in this place before, that we throw up our hands at the first sign of trouble. That we wonder, does God really love me? We wonder, is God real? We wonder, is, you know, is, is he just checked out? Or, or, or does God not care about me in the midst of this? And, what, and frankly, we don't look any different than the person that doesn't know Christ as their Savior. There are a number of Christians who don't look any different. That we don't respond differently whenever, uh, whenever we go through a hardship. And so the world that those that don't know Jesus, they're not wondering why should why do I need Christ in my life? You don't look any different than me. And what God is saying, what Peter is saying is we should look different. And as we look different, it creates a thirst and hunger within those who are struggling that don't know the Lord. God is producing purity in our faith, that genuineness in our faith and in, your, in the midst of your trial. There's a very interesting passage of scripture that I've read just dozens and dozens of times. I've preached on it. I've used it in funerals. But it, but it really kind of struck me this week as I was looking back through it. It's a story found in John chapter 11. And many of you know the story. It's when Jesus' good friend Lazarus was sick and his sisters, who he was good, close friends with, called for him to come and to, and to bring healing to him at that moment. Now, now you would think being a really good friend of Jesus would have its perks, right? That he would just heal you immediately and, and rescue you out of your problem at that very point. But what do we find, when you look at the story, um, we see that Jesus does not go immediately to heal, Je- to heal Lazarus. Jesus was working something that was bigger than just a temporal healing Okay, John 11, he says this. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the son of God will receive glory from this. Now I want you to really pay attention to this next verse. So, although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Did you see that? In spite of the love, he didn't answer immediately. In spite of the love, his answer was, you're going to wait just a a little bit because I'm doing something that's bigger than just a temporal healing. In spite of the the love, he stayed where he was at. Finally, he said to his disciples, okay, and that finally is, what was he waiting on? Lazarus to die. He said, now let's go to Judea. And you know the story. In Jesus's delay, Lazarus, his physical body died. And Martha and Mary are very upset at this. They're upset when Jesus gets there, uh, Mary stays back in the house and won't even come out. Martha comes out because she's a little more type A, and, and she says, in essence, Lord, if you'd just come when we asked you to come, if you'd been here, we wouldn't be going through this. And, and understandably, they are upset, and they are focused intently on what is happening at that very moment, and that may be kind of what you're doing doing at this moment, and it's kind of human nature. We look at the at the situation we're in, and we're fixed upon this, but Jesus Jesus begins to to do something in spite of his love for for them. he, He made them wait and he was working something that was gonna take them to a place of faith that was deeper than even what they already had with him. And he's saying, as you know, or as you know in the story, he raises Lazarus from the dead. But I noticed something else in this story. Jesus was not only producing deeper faith within Martha and Mary and that household, Jesus was producing a faith in others who were watching from the outside this situation. In fact, Jesus is going to even tell his own disciples, Peter was one of those, that I'm going to do something that that is going to take you to a deeper place with me. In verse 14, it says, so he told them, plainly because he told them that Lazarus sleeps. All right. Now he he was, he was dead and they weren't getting the sleep thing. So Jesus just said, look, Lazarus is dead. Okay. Uh, We, a lot of times just need the Lord to just shoot straight with us. And this is what he's doing. But look, and for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there for now. You will really believe now you will believe. And then he says, come, let's go see him. And as you know, Jesus goes, he raises Lazarus. And we catch in that story, a glimpse of not only Jesus's power, yes, because we know he raises Lazarus. By the way, Lazarus died again later on, okay? You should know that um, because everyone has. And, and he goes on and he says, it, 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 we, we not only see his power, but we see his compassion because when he gets there, we, we have the great verse, John eleven thirty five 35, where it says that Jesus wept, okay? If you haven't memorized a verse, try that one, all right? He wept. And we see he has a greater purpose, that he always has a plan. Now, I want you to see verse 45. As he's working in all of this, not doing what their plan was, but his plan, Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. So for you, as you go through your hardship today, whatever it is that you're facing, you can have joy and know that God is developing your faith deeper. God is maturing you. He's, he's growing you up and like heat on a precious metal is what Peter said it, it, that heat, we don't know much about this because we don't really work with, with gold like this, but those who are goldsmiths would know that you would heat that metal up and the impurities would rise to the top and it was a purification process and they would scrape the dross off it would make that gold more pure and that's what your troubles are doing Peter says it's making your faith more pure it's purifying you oftentimes we don't find out what we are made of until we go through something that's hard are you with me right I mean it's easy to say we follow Jesus whenever everything's lining up for us but what about when it doesn't? Will you still follow him? Will you still be firm in your faith and 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 he, or what kind of things we're kind of like tea bags. I heard another guy say this that that we're like this tea bag that when you put us in hot water, you find out what's in the tea bag cuz it starts coming out. A lot of us as believers, you find out what we're made of when you put us in the hot water. Right? And what's coming out of you when you go in the hot water? Is it grumbling? Is it cursing, is it bitterness, is it lashing out at others, or is it love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? It's a good question, it's a good self-assessment. What comes out of me whenever I'm in the hot water? What does that look like for you? And this is what Peter is saying. You're being purified. By the way, I want to say that God is not only purifying your faith, he is perhaps producing faith in those who are around you as they watch you go through this. Those of you who are parents, our kids are watching us not only in the good times, but they're watching how we handle the rough times. And, and, And you're either showing them that you are standing firm in your faith or you're showing them that you're wavering. So how do we handle the hardships? And so you stand out. I want you to see this. You stand out as you resolve to stand firm. You stand out others start noticing there's something different about you and how you're handling this. This is what Peter is getting at. I want you to be different. And as you're being different in the midst of your hardship, you're ultimately bringing glory to God. And it's not contingent upon the outward temporal circumstances. There's something internal that is in you that cannot be touched by the world. It cannot be touched so he goes on and he says, verse seven. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Now that's not just glory and honor from other people or whatever. And it's not only just glory for the Lord. Did you see? It will bring you glory and honor and praise from whom? Jesus himself. So not only are other people watching you go through what you go through, God is watching and he's going to reward you for your faithfulness. And this is what Peter is reminding them. And he goes and he says, you've loved him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him, and this is a word for some of you, now. You can't see him working right now. He's saying this, this is what you're going to do. You trust him. You trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Did you see that? God notices. Other people notice when you're going through what you're going through. You stand firm by choosing joy. Now we may think, well, where is God as I'm going through this tough time? Where is he going through? Uh, you know, as I go through this, when I'm hurting, well, the Bible does say this. You're not going through it by yourself. He says he is close to the brokenhearted. He is close to those who are crushed in spirit. So he doesn't just say, good luck to you as you go through what you're going through. No, he walks through this with you, And what did we see in that story of Martha and Mary? You see this, it says that Jesus even wept. So he's compassionate. He hurts with you as you go through this. I want you to think about biblical examples of how God allowed people to go through things that was making them into who they were. He could have rescued Joseph out and, and, and Joseph never went to prison. If you know that story or had any problems with his brothers, he could have, he could have kept Joseph out of jail, but he didn't. He could have kept David, or excuse me, Daniel out of Babylon and and out of the lion's den, but he didn't. He could have kept David from being on the run in the wilderness where Saul was trying to kill him, right? Uh, But he didn't. He could have kept Paul from being shipwrecked. Wrecked and imprisoned and and beaten and all of the things that Paul went through on multiple occasions, but he didn't. He could have kept Moses from wandering in that wilderness for a 40-year period, wondering if God had abandoned him, but he didn't. Why? Because God was shaping all of them for the next phase of their life. And whatever it is that you are going through, God is not wasting what you're going through. God is preparing you and he's getting you ready. And, 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 and more people are going to come to know who God is because of you standing firm in your faith and the character that you demonstrate. Or how about this one? God could have kept his son off of the cross, but he didn't. Amen? God had a bigger plan that he was working So we stand firm in our faith, in our response. We choose joy. Here's the other part of this. Peter says, we also, by living soberly, with awareness of this, okay? And some of you are gonna understand this and some of you won't, but awareness that you are, do you realize this? You are in a spiritual battle. And and here's the thing, I think we grow indifferent to this, I think we just kinda think that this battle, this spiritual battle doesn't exist. If, If we grasp the reality of this, it would wake us up. And Peter is gonna say, wake up. I want you to wake up and understand you're in a battle. I shared with our staff this week, and I won't won't belabor this too much, but but I shared with our staff, and I I shared with Randy uh, and and just some others that are close in my life. Last Sunday, I went home after preaching three Sunday morning sermons, and, and I went home, and you would think after preaching, stand firm in your faith, I would feel just just so firm in my faith and invigorated, and you know, and I went home, and that afternoon, I don't know what was going on. Oh, well, I do now, and I'm about to tell you. At the time, I didn't know what was going on, and I just, I just had this anxiety that was just overwhelming me, and this fear that just, it was irrational coming upon me. I even told my wife, Hope. I said, "Something's off, man. Some, something doesn't feel right. I don't know what's going on. You know, and and uh, and I, I don't feel right, and and." And, and, and it wasn't just because the cowboys were getting whooped, okay? That wasn't helping, but it wasn't just that. And I was just feeling this, and then Hope and I went for a walk, and it dawned on me that I was under spiritual attack at that moment. And I don't say that to over-sensationalize things, but, but you need to understand some things here today, okay? And I, I'm, I, I want you to get this and grasp this, that you're in a battle, that Peter tells us we're in a battle, that as 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 I'm, as we're teaching, as we're teaching you to stand firm in your faith, do you understand that Satan hates what's happening here this morning? That he hates that you're being equipped with, with this word of God to stand firm. He hates that I'm preaching it, that our staff is teaching it, that our life groups are studying this. He hates what's happening at Eagle's View, that there are lives that are being transformed by the power of God's word. He hates that there are churches that are being started where in other places, doors of churches are closing rapidly across our nation, but, but we are partnering right now, it's upwards to 12 churches that we're starting to partner with in planting new churches. You support that through your giving. We're supporting nine and, uh, right now, and we've added three within the last month and a half. One of them is is a former youth pastor that we had. His name is Jake Ledet. And Jake was in my youth group whenever I was a youth pastor years ago. And he's starting a brand new church and we're beginning to support him and partner with him. And he had his first interest meeting a couple of weeks ago and had over 90 adults. Amen. Praise God. That is awesome. Clap to God. We're partnering with a couple in the Keller area named Frank and Grace Menza. They're starting a church to dispersed Africans who have moved here. And they're, they're starting a brand new work and it's starting to, to go. We started giving to that and partnering with them. We're partnering with with uh, uh, Jos- Josias Laporte up in Montreal who's planting out of La Chapelle. And many of you know about that. Planting in an area in Quebec where less than one half of 1% uh, know Jesus as their savior. And his first interest meeting had, I believe, over 60 adults that showed up, right? And that's big anywhere, but that's big in Quebec. The enemy hates that. He hates that our elders feel led to take our church deeper into prayer. He hates that our hope ministry is thriving and growing and, and, and that things are happening there where people are finding support and in, in, in anxiety and in depression in other areas that they're struggling with. He hates that our youth group is growing and our children's ministry is thriving. The enemy would love to take EBC out. Do you know that? He would love to take your pastors out. And we got to wake up, church, and understand that the battle that we are in is real. It's a real battle. And we have to understand that that's happening. And do you know that Jesus said to Peter, he said, you know, Satan wants to take you out. Look at what he said in Luke 22. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith would not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. In other words, you're going to blow it, Peter. You're going to mess up. And he did. But he said, but I'm not done using you when you mess up. And if you've messed up, God's not done with you. He says, I want you to understand that you have an enemy that is real. Peter will talk about it in chapter 5, that we have an enemy who is seeking to destroy us like a roaring lion. We'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. Now, I don't tell you these things to scare you because we do not in any way stand in a place of fear. We stand in a position of faith. We stand in a position of victory already. We don't fight for victory. We, f- we fight from the position of victory because of what Christ has already done. Amen? Right? So Peter says, verse 13, prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world Prepare your mind for action literally translates this. Gird up your loins. We don't know much about girding up loins, do we, okay? But here's what it means people in that time wore long robes and long tunics. And, and, and so whenever they would get ready to go into a battle or they would get ready to run a race or get ready to work in a vigorous kind of way, they would, they wore a belt too. They would pull their robes up off of their legs and tuck their robe into that belt. That was called girding up your loins. We would say it like this today, roll up your sleeves and get busy. That's what he's saying. We roll up our sleeves when it's time to It's time to go to to war, right? We roll up our sleeves when it's time to go to work. That's what he's saying, okay? Gird up your loins. Get your minds ready for action. You're in a battle. We don't fight from fear. We fight from faith. Paul would even say this. And by the way, we don't fight from fear because you realize as a believer, you have not been ill-equipped. You have everything you need to face the enemy. Paul tells us. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on all God's armor so that you will be able to, everyone say it, stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Some of you need to realize that the battle, I felt compelled to tell you this this week, that the battle you've been in, you've been thinking is with another person. It's not. It's not. There's a, there's not, it's, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. There's a spiritual battle that's going on. So we need to be soberly minded, not fearfully minded. So here's the other part that he says your responses, okay? Just quickly. We want to do this by living, here's our response obediently, despite the pull to conform back to the old way of life. He says in verse 14, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy, for the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. What is he getting at? Okay, I could do a whole message on the holiness of God, but here is what he's saying. God is different, isn't he? He is otherly. There's, not, there's nothing that compares to him. What he's saying is that God lives in you. You are to be different in the way that you walk and how you talk, how you, how you here's what I really think the context of this is, how you respond in hardship. That's the context. You're to be different. You're to look different. Be different, God says, because I am different and I am in you. So you're different. Now this be holy is not be holier than thou. You know what I'm talking about? It is, it's not you think you're better than others. It's that you realize that the holiness that you have has been imparted to you because of God's grace. And you have been made holy. So here is the other part. And the final thing I'll share with you, okay? You're to be different in the storm and a response to the gospel, we stand firm. Here's what he says to do, by loving one another genuinely, a genuine love. He says, we remember those believers who are going through hardship, right? And if you know this, if you're going through a hardship, there's nothing wrong than going through a hardship and feeling like nobody cares. Are you with me? Right? or feeling like you are alone. By the way, the enemy, as a predator, goes after those that are weak, those who are isolated, and those that are young. If you know anything about kind of watching predators, you know, if you watch shows, that's, that's kind of what happens, shows that deal with nature. And, and so you need to understand that when we feel alone, we're so vulnerable at those times, but we need to understand we're not supposed to fight alone. I want every person who is here today to understand this truth, okay? Do you realize that where you are seated this morning, that there could be a person who is sitting next to you or across the aisle from you or a couple of rows down or whatever, that they, you may just be here just kind of cruising through life, but they very likely could be going the, through the hardest thing they have ever faced in their life. And I think we need to understand that. And Peter says, I want you to love each other genuinely, to to have deep love for one another as you go through the hardships together. A lot of times what I think has happened is we've kind of gotten into this routine where we come to church for ourselves and yes, you're going to get something out of it. We come and I got to get my parking spot. I got to get, I got to get in and get my seat. I got to get my burrito and, and my coffee or soda or whatever because I, I'm about to participate in a show. I want you to hear this. What is happening here this morning is not a show. It's not a production what's going on. We, we sometimes act like what we're coming to is no different than going to the movies. We as a church need to understand that as this is happening right now, spiritual warfare is going on and that there are lives that are actually hanging in the balance. Do you know that? There are some people whose marriages is falling apart as we speak right now. There are some who feel like they have no hope and are in the darkest depression they've ever been in. There are some that are wondering, is God real? We have to, what he's saying is wake up as a church and we also, we gotta take care of each other. We gotta love on each other and realize and be sensitive that that church, yes, you're gonna get something great out of it for you, but what if God brought you here today not just for you, but for somebody else? And you stopped and you listened and you acted like Jesus to them and you were Jesus to them. It's not a show. He says this, this is why you can do this. He says to these believers who are suffering, you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So you now must show sincere love. You know what that word sincere means? Without hypocrisy. How are you doing brother? Oh, you're going through the worst time of your life? Good luck to you. You know, God bless you. No, what he's saying is roll up your sleeves, get involved, be involved in others' lives and understand that that this isn't a show, that this is real life. And that you are called to love other people who are around you. He says, love them, not with a hypocritical kind of love, but a love that is an agape love. It's a love of action. It's a love of the will. It's not sentimentality here. It's 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 this. to to each other as brothers and sisters, love each other deeply. That word, and he says with all your heart, it means a love that is stretched to the limits. That's what it means. It's a love that will inconvenience you as you love that way. By the way, that's how Jesus loved us, right? He said, I want you to love each other that way. And when you do this, you need to know that one, you're meeting needs, but secondly, the world is drawn to those who love like that because this world beats people up. We believe that life groups in our church, because we know that that can't all happen on a Sunday morning, life groups in our church is a great way. Sometimes we think life groups are just for us and what I get out of it. What if it's what you bring to the group and you loving others in that group, right? Here's your final verse, okay? And then we got to quit. On the night that Jesus would be arrested and he would be brutalized, he showed the full extent of his love. It's the same word that Peter says to love deeply, the same word here. And what did he do? He wasn't thinking of himself. He washed his disciples' nasty, dirty feet. And he was giving them an example and us an example of how to love each other. So look at what he says. I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. By the way, right before this, they were fighting with each other on who was the greatest. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. What he's saying is the way you love each other, the way that you get in and walk into one another's lives and help each other is attractive. In a world that is so negative and dark, you're to be that light. So let's just pray together at this moment. Peter says, love deeply, genuinely, sacrificially at this very moment. By the way, as as we just bow our our hearts and our heads before the Lord at this moment, do you know when I'm struggling, when I start loving and serving other people, my problems don't go away, but they sure put my problems into a different perspective. So I want you to ask yourself this question this morning. Who do you know who has a real need? Who do you know that maybe is struggling financially or emotionally or spiritually or, you know, or or maybe they've just been in a dark place and they struggle to get out of bed. They're struggling with some depression. Maybe you know somebody that that you know is a widow, and they're just trying to just get through, and they they could use help. Maybe they're struggling in tragedy. Maybe you know a single parent who's just trying to raise their kids, and they're they're just stretched, and and, and need some help and some love. Who do you know that maybe is struggling with illness that you could pray for or you could provide a need for their family or who, who's in the hospital or, or, or who is in a nursing home and, and feels a- alone? Who do you know that is lonely? Who do you know that needs forgiveness and you've been withholding it? God is saying to you, stop holding a grudge. Love the way I love you. Who do you know that needs a kind word today? Peter says, in response to the gospel, in a way that you stand firm, love each other. Don't just come to a show on Sunday morning. Put your faith in action. So Father, we thank you that you modeled for us what that looks like. I pray for every believer who is here today, Lord, that you would you would equip them to stand firm in, in our faith, Lord, and that the world would see we are different because, not because of anything that we are or can do, but because of your grace and what you have blessed us with in our own lives. I pray your blessings over this church family, Lord, in Jesus' name.